Welcome to Beers, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise and brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com slash house to get 20% off and free shipping on your order just in time for Christmas too, or use the code house at checkout. That's 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped, our newest partner. I'm Jake and that's Will. And another wild week in the NFL, but I think the, the news taking the headlines this week has to be baseball. You and I talked about this for way too long before we started recording this. Um, there was between two franchises over the past two days, almost a billion dollars spent on like five or six free agents. And to me, that is nuts considering our Yankees have spent like a million dollars. So this is not okay. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's insane when you look at, you know, the whole baseball landscape, the fact that the three biggest teams that spend money and I don't know the exacts, but Dodgers, Red Sox, and Yankees each only made one move. Andrew Heaney got like an $8 million deal for the Dodgers. The Red Sox, the Red Sox got Waka. Um, I don't know. I I think he was a cheat. He was probably another $8 million deal. And then the Yankees re-signed Jolie Rodriguez, who, you know what? If that's our only fucking move, I mean, it's not a bad player. I mean, he, he did fairly well in the bullpen for the Yankees when we traded for him with the Joey Gallo package. And they it's got like him for like a $2 million deal. But it's like, what the hell is going on? And yes, I understand that the CBA is about to expire on the first, but the Yankees fell asleep at the wheel. They literally thought that everyone was not going to make moves until – everything gets figured out. It was going to be a quiet first couple of weeks, probably till like January and then things will start get rolling. And they were wrong. They were absolutely wrong. I mean, the fact that the Rangers just spent 500 million, half a billion dollars on two players, the middle of their infield is insane. The fact that they just signed two all-star shortstops and the Yankees don't have a major league shortstop on their they roster. They signed two. That's nuts. That's, That's so nuts. Fucking greedy. And it's just like, it just frustrates me even more where it's like Cashman came out and said, shortstop is our number one priority. Well, Carlos Correa, he'll either, he'll probably go to the Tigers on a $400 million. No, no. And then you have Trevor Story, who again, I wouldn't be mad at, but like doesn't help the lefty bat. And then what? Fucking Andrel, uh, Andrelte Simmons or Freddie Galvis? If Simmons is, now Galvis, all right. That's one thing I, you know. Galvis is like fine lefty bat you know you can play in both but I mean you can't have that be your damn short on the bench the on New the York bench Yankees. not your not your starter like exactly. if he comes in and plays the Tyler Wade role and can play the middle of the infield and he's quick and speedy and has good defense fine but like the Yankees literally got rid of Odor Clint Frazier um Tyler Wade Andrew Velasquez that was dumb Corey Kluber Andrew Heaney, and they haven't re-signed shit or done shit. What is going on? Nick Nelson, Donnie Sands. um, Fucking nothing. It's frustrating. It's infuriating. And it's like, listen, give credit where credit is due. The Rangers, they're looking to make the playoffs for the first time in a minute. Happy for them. It doesn't really impact us in terms of the AL East. You know, I don't like the Mets, but crosstown fucking rivals. We have a lot of Mets people in the house. Good for them. They're making moves. I mean, it's nice when you have an owner that is doesn't give a shit about the money. He just wants to win. 
because, and again, I know we're young Yankee fans. We only saw 2009 when we were like seven years old, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, you hear all like, whether it's our, our older family members or older fans, it's like George Steinbrenner would never, his sons are fucking penny pinching. They just want to make money for themselves and they don't give a shit about winning. And it showed today. It showed today. Right. No, it did. It's super frustrating. Um, You know, I, I hope the Yankees can make some sort of attempt. Uh, The non-tender deadline will be by the time we air this tomorrow, basically we should have some answers on who's getting tendered, who's out. Um, I I'm not expecting much. I'm really not. I don't know what to expect. So buckle up. Um, We'll, we'll get into a little bit of this later in the show um, and let's put the negativity aside because there's certainly a lot of it in the baseball world right now. Um, Awesome guests today. It's Providence Friars head coach, Ed Cooley. And another kind of white, uh, white, uh, was it white dove, right? Yeah. White whale. That's shit. All doves are white. Um, That was not good on me. Um, Yeah. You know, coach was somebody on our radar for a while, obviously right up the road, an excellent Rhode Island story. And, you know, I don't know about you, Will, but I, I really enjoyed talking to him, even though it was only for around 20 minutes, you know, really good dude, uh, great hand on his shoulders and obviously an excellent basketball coach too. So it was great to have the opportunity to talk to him. hundred percent. I mean, having Ed Cooley, I mean, we said it on the show, he's a Mount Rushmore of Providence faces, if not Rhode Island faces. And it's like, when we were brainstorming this podcast over a year and a half ago, it's like, when's the day we're going to get Ed Cooley? I mean, like, can we make this happen? Like, who knows? Like, and we yes, tried for no. a year and a half. We, I mean, we clear. tried, but it's like, you never really know. I mean, he's a busy man. Like the Providence Friars right now, they're six and one, one of the top teams in the Big East. They're playing really good basketball. Nate Watson, I mean, he might be following David Dukes to the uh, NBA if it, the way he's been playing. So having him on the show just is like one of those, like you get giddy Christmas morning kind of things. And that was, uh, it was great to talk to him. I mean, awesome interview with Coach Ed Cooley. Yeah, you guys will hear that a little bit later in the episode. Uh, we talk about coming up in Providence. We talk about, um, you know, his career, what he thinks about coaching, you know, his, his struggle with weight loss, um, really a bunch of stuff. So uh, excellent interview with Coach Cooley. Before we dive into beers, we mentioned Providence Mount Rushmore's. And now I'm curious who's on yours, because I think for me, you got to put Cooley's one or, you know, I guess they're in any order, but Cooley, I'd say you have to throw Buddy Cianci on there. Mm-hmm. Um and then for the other two, I mean, it's like, it's kind of a toss up. Do you put somebody like, I mean, I'll put Viola Davis, the actress. Okay. She's from Providence. I mean, yeah. she was in a ton of great movies. Um, I think she won. I got to fact check myself what she's, she's definitely won. Yeah. Two Tony awards. Um, one of the youngest act, she's one of the youngest actresses to get the triple crown of acting, which was the Academy Award, the Primetime Emmy, and a Tony. Um, originally from Providence, I mean, she is in a lot of great movies. Uh, you have The Help, Fences. Um, you could do like, I think you have to, well, it depends on what world you're coming from, but you could put Paul Canerco on that list. You could put, eh. <laughs> maybe not <laughs> paulie d well he's from john or cranston i think he was born in providence though you probably have to put him then 
he was born in Pro- I just looked it up. He was born in Providence. So I guess he kind of but he did go to Johnston High, I'm pretty sure. He like made his he made his fame there, blah blah blah. Yeah, Yankees uh, catcher Chris Ionetta. Ionetta, yes, he's a big <laughs> Providence guy. I don't um, think you can put him on the uh, I guess Paul, I mean that's a I, I feel like you can come back to it. We'll have to come back to it. Anybody like Mm. Meredith Vieira. Uh that could be, yeah. That she could be on the Mount Rushmore. She she could be. She might be like uh, an honorable mention, but I think so. Will Blackman too. Yeah, but like if he answered her emails, he might be higher up. He might be higher up, but he hasn't really <laughs> won anything. I know. He, hey, he's in the BC Hall of Fame though. That accounts for something. I, I guess. But Ed Cooley, general consensus, first yeah. ballot. I think Ed Cooley and Buddy Cianci, one and two. Easy one and two. Violet everybody Davis. else is a gap, like 50 feet of shit, and then everybody else. I mean, Violet Davis, she's a great actor. Right. You got to guarantee Violet Davis, I will give that to you. She's three. I think that four spots up for grabs. We might have like a three-way tie for that. All right, we'll have to come back to this on another episode. But <laughs> all right, let's have some beer. Um, I'm currently drinking a Treehouse, but we already did that, so I'll review something else. Will any good beers? I know you ripped up Greenport uh, this past week. What do we have on tap? Yeah, Greenport had a couple good ones. I'll probably save those for a later week. I actually had a Bissell Brothers today. Uh, Swish the Swish IPA. It's an Imperial Double. Um, Citra, Mosaic, Simcoe hops. I mean, it's literally the caption on untapped is tis the season, which I thought was funny. Super smooth, hoppy, juicy. I mean, I haven't had Bissell Brother in quite some time. I'd probably say yeah. close to th- two, maybe three years. But those are one of those beers. It's like they are, you know, we're talking about Mount Rushmore's. They're the Mount Rushmore in Portland. You know, they're the Mount Rushmore of Maine beers. It's like they rarely miss. So, Anytime you get a, a taste of Bissell Brothers, you're always uh, very, very, you know, happy. And you're like, wow, okay. Like they, they, they can compete with a lot of the big heads in New England and the Northeast. So four or five for me, very good IPA. Yeah. Bissell is now that's conversation for like in the, in the context of IPAs in New England, you can probably put that pretty high up there. You know, you can probably put that on like a top 10 list in, in greater New England. I think you can certainly put it on the list. If you go Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, that's top three. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, Alchemist is up there as well. There's, there's a bunch of, it's a main beer company, right? Uh-huh. Main beers up there for sure. But I, I mean, honestly, you know, if you put main beer company in, and Bissell head to head, I'm probably taking Bissell, depending on what it is. Mm, yeah, I don't. I mean, again, like I haven't had enough of Bissell Brothers. Like Bissell Brothers was one of, you know, I I had the opportunity to get to go there. What was it? The fall of 2018. So very new in the beer scene. Uh, whereas, like, you know, you can have main beer company in a lot of different places. Like they distribute a little bit more. Um, I'm pretty sure Bissell Brothers you can only pick up there actually, but. So it's hard to, you know, battle it face to face where it's like, I've had, you know, main beer company lunch and dinner, probably like 50 times where it's like Bissell brothers. I've had like five times. 
but they do compete. I would definitely, you know, I would definitely say that, um, you know, head to head, we'll have to, you know, go up to Portland and test it out ourselves. Yeah, agreed. I think Portland's in the cards for us for sure. Uh, Bissell Brothers is awesome. They, they really do good work. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting back up there at some point. Um, I, of course, as you all know by now, Connecticut is where I grew up. It's where my parents are now. So naturally, I went back for Thanksgiving. Um, I tried out Reverie Brewing Company in Newtown. This was due to a recommendation of our good friend, Zach Mastriani, bachelor with the bro writer on House Enterprise. And Reverie, interesting place. Uh, Reverie means daydream. And the guys that founded this brewing company, they, they just kept daydreaming about it at work. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, warranted a visit with my dad and my uncle. They did a lot of standard IPAs, that kind of stuff, but they had a lot of experimental. So I had to try that out. Um, my favorite personally was a beer called It's the Pits. And I only got it because it was a fruit. It said it was a fruited pancake brown ale. Hmm. So I've tried never, that I've never heard of that. Yeah. No, I, I never heard of it. I'm going to read you the description. And this is exactly why I took it. It says, mm, the oh so tasty pancake. So fluffy, so comforting, so disc-like. Many of us have early memories of our first pancakes slathered in butter and syrup. Well, this beer is the adult version of those childhood visions. A light-bodied brown ale with notes of cinnamon, vanilla, syrup, and molasses that's complemented by some of our favorite pitted fruits. Speaking of favorites, we made this beer in collaboration with our friends at Bethel at Note Notch 8. Um, I don't think I've been there either, but man, weird one. This was very weird. I, I liked it. Um, I, my untapped review was tough to pull off, but Reverie does a decent job of balancing spice with fruit. I get the pancake taste. It was 4.5%, pretty on par for a brown ale. I think it was hopped pretty well. I can't really tell because it was just thick. You know, when you're like eating a beer, we've talked about this before, but it's like, yeah. you know, you'll take a sip of a stout or like some really dark ale and be like, holy shit. Like I'm feel like I'm chewing this. That's what I got there. Um, can't have a pint of it because you'll walk out feeling like you're a hundred pounds heavier. Um, so I gave it a three, five you know, good beer, objectively, like very hard to pull off. Um, Cause I think if we tried to make that right now, we'd be like, all right, where the hell do we start? Right. Yeah. So, so I think they nailed it. Like I, I tasted what they were going after. It's so hard to explain. It was like a, a little spicy, like the fruits balance the, the maple feeling pretty well. It seems like a lot. It is a lot. There's a lot going on, but I, I think they pulled it off. Like if they had tried to do anything more, if they like tried to add like chocolate chip fruited pancake, you know, I, I think it would have sucked. How are the rest of the beer selections? Rest of the beer was good. It was, it wasn't anything I'm going to rush back for. Like, you know, I was explaining to Zach actually on the way out, he said, how was their beer out of curiosity? I said, good enough where I'd go back, have a couple of pints, hang out but not good enough where I was like walking out with cans, you know? Mm, okay. Cause yeah. Like a lot of the places we go, we're like, Oh shit, that was really good. Let's take some cans home. Like every time we go to long live, it's like, all right. Yeah. Fucking truck ready. Like, you know, we've got, we're going to put all the beers in the back. Not the case. Like I, I would, if they were offered to me, but you know, I wasn't going out of my way to say, all right, let me get a can of that. Let me get a can of that. Mm -hmm. 
But overall, Fair. you know, um, Mark Broderick uh, had the opportunity to speak with him, co-founder and owner of Reverie. Uh, very nice guy. They have a very good story. Um, big Rhode Island beer fan as well, too. He's a big fan of Proclamation, um, a few others. He goes, what are the places that I need to hit the next time in Providence? And of course, I had to tell him, if you don't go to Long Live, you're not a craft beer guy. And he laughed and now he's going out there. So, so that's a win. We got mm -hmm. somebody on Long Live. Um, that's beers. Go follow us on Untapped for more. Business. There are some big things going on in the business world right now. We will start with the one that's burning. Jack Dorsey, who has been the CEO of Twitter for quite some time now, has stepped down and it's square as well. The stepping down effective in, he says, May-ish. Uh, it'll be a long transition to get him out of there, but this is an interesting one. You and I were talking about this before, kind of some different perspectives here, but a lot of Twitter right now is saying that this is good for Twitter. Um, as we all know, the censorship, the misinformation, um, you know, that that's been really the story of Twitter for the past year, you know, how they've responded, how they've handled, you know, um, the big battle with President Trump was a, a huge uh, thing that was opened up uh, for, I think, many years now. It's been going on for two and a half, three years. Um, initial thoughts here on Jack Dorsey leaving Twitter, Will? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's coming at an abrupt time, um, you know, not only for Twitter, but Square as well. He's claiming that it was on his own terms. Again, hard to say. Um, I think it probably was, but. Yeah, I don't know. Like, we're talking about the censorship. Like, I mean, there's obviously two roads that Twitter can go. It could, you know, keep its path or it could become more censored. And, you know, I don't know if this new CEO, um, what's his name again? Uh, Par Parag Agarwal. I mean, like, again, he's been with the company for 10 years. Like if he's going to try to like, you know, battle up with the big bad wolf, like Mark Zuckerberg, like, I don't know what's in store for Twitter. I mean, if he actually, instead of putting up a paywall for Twitter, um, just gets everyone like an edit button. He'll be like everyone's fan favorite CEO. That was that's bullshit. And yeah, I've been waiting for this for a while. I tweeted it. I said, "Here's my take. Twitter should not hide its basic improvements behind a paywall." I'm just no, gonna say it. No, because I'm not paying. I you know I don't pay for Facebook. I don't pay for Instagram. I don't pay for TikTok. I don't pay for Twitter. I'm not, I'm not paying for social media. And no, again, like you know patrons one thing where it's like you're starting to see a lot of content creators like go on patron and like i'm not really too familiar with like the profile itself but it's like you know i will compensate you know media outlets or content creators in different ways i'm not paying for a service you know i will buy their merch you know i will you know engage in the advertisements that they have on the website because you're going to get me for something a couple times a year but i'm not paying for a paywall i'm not no. I'll just stop using it. Right. That's the thing. It's like, but here's the thing. People will and brands oh, people will. will. Absolutely. But so Twitter wins here. And that, that goes down the discussion of kind of what we were talking about before. It's like Twitter, a lot of people are coming out and saying, Hey, you know, Jack Dorsey leaving Twitter is not good. You know, everyone hated Jack Dorsey years ago. And now everyone's like, Hey, he's not that bad. Um, 
this is about to take an interesting twist. I, I think this is going to cause some division here about, you know, what exactly Jack Dorsey's day-to-day role was in Twitter. Um, and over the next couple of years, we're really going to understand a bit more about what's next for Twitter, right? If it's going to get better or worse as far as censorship goes, as far as free speech goes. I mean, I, I understand there's plenty of different ways you can look at it. Like, you know, should Twitter censor stuff, right? Uh, my, my answer is no, uh, you know, but I, I understand it's up for, it's up for debate. Um, but then you go down a real slippery slope of like, all right, well, who's censoring what, when are they doing it? How are they doing it? Right. So, I mean, there, there's a lot to learn about what Twitter is going to become uh, with, with Jack Dorsey out basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's too early to tell, you know, I know he's going to be remaining on the board. He'll transition the new CEO in and everything, but I don't know. Something's fishy about this because it's like, I feel like you make that announcement at the new year. You don't make that announcement like during the holidays, try to brush it under. I don't know. Something's a little fishy. Yeah. Um, There's some suspect stuff that this new, this new CEO said too. I'll let the sleuths sniff it out because I'm not. I mean, you already know Dorsey's going to be like pumping Bitcoin left and right. The guy's going (laughs) to billions and billions of dollars. He's a very avid and open supporter of Bitcoin. So you already know that he's going to, you know, take his new free time and run it with all Bitcoin. My favorite thing that I saw on Twitter today with Jack Dorsey, it's somebody random tweets a picture. They're like, Jack Dorsey is stepping down immediately of, uh, of Twitter as a CEO. And it's just a straight up picture of Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones, (laughs) the the three button midget, basically. The guy is definitely interesting. Yeah. You know, that's the crazy part about Twitter. (laughs) Dinklage or Jack Dorsey? (laughs) Jack Dorsey. I mean, the crazy part about Twitter, it's like, you know, we're talking about like the censorship stuff where it's like you are like Twitter allowed, like, again, we're not trying to get political, but they like banned Trump, but then allow like the leader of Al Qaeda to like publicly post on Twitter. Yeah. What the fuck's that about? And then like, I'm so confused. Like this is actually a topic I'm like very interested in. And I'd love to talk to Connor with this one time, you know, maybe if we get him on. Um, his own podcast we make this an inaugural one but like edward snowden like is the most active twitter user out of everybody and he's literally like living in an embassy in like asylum it's (laughs) like that guy like that guy is trying to get arrested by like every country he whistle blew he like stole data all of this stuff and he just like freely uses twitter I don't get that. And he's, where is he now? Is he Russia technically? I think he's out of Russia. I think. Yeah. That that sounds about right. I think he, I'm pretty sure he has asylum in Russia, but I have no idea now that I think about it. Where is Edward Snowden now? Or reliable Google. Yeah. He has permanent residency in, in Russia as of last year. Okay. So that makes sense. I mean, they probably just hooked him up with Wi-Fi and said like, here you go, dude. Like, yeah, but he was in like the airport for like 60 days and then like went to the embassy. Now it's just, it's just insane. It's just so crazy. It's like, listen, like, again, we're not getting into the politics, but it's like, how can you do one and not the other? I, I agree. And then meanwhile, you're letting like straight pornography all over Twitter. <laughs> Dude, there's a lot of porn on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, it's like, what the fuck? I'm like literally like refreshing to see like, which MLB team signed. And then you just see like a bunch of like only fan creators and like 
random people like their tweets or they pop up in your timeline. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the hell? Out of pocket. It's like, it's getting bad lately. It's so bad. Know. It's so bad. Like worse than it ever was. Yeah. So Twitter has a, a lot to figure out in itself. Wow. I'm, I'm just, and not to take the subject away from Twitter, I just watched the Washington football team just deck some wide receiver. It might have been, no, it was a running back and they forced a fumble. Wow. Crazy. We'll get the, get the balls later but yeah i mean i don't know i i don't i can't confidently say like you know when a ceo leaves it's like oh there are better days ahead for this like i i genuinely don't know um i don't know that i'm not saying this new guy doesn't know his shit he, he sounds like a very smart guy he's an engineer who was a cto for many years he's probably going to run the company pretty well but it's you know we're going to find out a lot about twitter these next couple of years so buckle up is all i have to say about that mm-hmm. um that'll be it for twitter Let's talk about Black Friday real quick before we talk with Ed Cooley. Um, this year, it was 48% higher sales than 2020. Obviously, there were a lot less people going into stores in 2020, uh, a lot more uncertainty. So you kind of just write that off. But sales overall down 28.3% from the 2019 numbers. Here's my theory. I think these numbers, like the way Black Friday has been, I, I know like you used to go Black Friday shopping a bunch, like and stay up and go at, you know, 2, 3 a.m. You know, a lot of people do that um, or did that, I should say. I feel like that number is just dwindling because everybody's just making their Black Friday sales start like the week before. <clears throat> I, I think it's that simple. The month before. I mean, yeah, honestly, the a big... Before. You know, a big issue that started happening this fall was all the supply chain stuff. So companies were actively saying like, hey, order now, order now. And it was like, why do we have these like Black Friday, not like major deals, but like, you know, 10, 15% off in like October and like early November. It's like, you're not even thinking about like Christmas. I mean, I snagged a couple gifts early because it's like, okay, like the deals are right in front of me. And then you know, this week I was ordering on Amazon and some stuff might not come in till Christmas Eve. And it's just like, you know, they're obviously backed up. Amazon is slowly taking all taking over, but the supply chain issues are definitely going to be a major factor. Um, But last year's number were obviously COVID. It's like, you know, everyone was, it was still peak COVID people, stores weren't really open and they weren't going to have a lot of people, but down to what you said 19 20 percent from 2019 28 percent 28 percent so it's like oh that's it's kind of an alarming number it's enough where you're like oh number. shit you know it's like oh that's that's not good yeah well also the cost of everything's so expensive so like not for nothing it's like yeah you get these 20 30 percent off deals but like realistically you know it kind of evens out right yeah i i definitely agree it's like it's I think shopping is just going to change forever. You know, I'm not going to take us through like the, Oh, you know, it will never be the same. Right. I don't have time for that, but um, you know, I I genuinely think there's like something to be said about the way that people shop um, is, is like just totally transformed. Right. You're just statistically never going to see the black Friday deals that we ever have. Right. I I just think that's obsolete at this point. Um, and I don't think it's going to change whatsoever. No. But yeah, that's my take. Um, did you get anything on Black Friday? Um, I mean, I got some gifts on Amazon and stuff, but like nothing really like 
besides our own merch, houseenterprise.com slash the merch shop slash squad locker, 20% off. Um, no, but besides that, nothing really. I mean, I already like had some stuff lined up and then, I mean, I grabbed a couple of things at Target that were on sale, but nothing major. They're still doing their Cyber Monday stuff too. I might, yeah. so I got... On Black Friday, I was just kind of like, I woke up, I went to the gym and the gym is right next to Target. I go, yeah, fuck it. Let me go look. I found a $110 soundbar for 49 bucks and I bought it. Yeah, they had some deals with that. I mean, the TV deals were kind of crazy. They were really good. Like if you were in the market for like a 70 inch TV, they were 300 bucks. Which is insane because it's like, I remember like years ago, like not even like that long ago, maybe like five, six years ago, like you were spending like at least 1200 bucks. Is that nuts? And you get more stuff in your TV for way cheaper because it's yeah. like less about the TV now. And the TV manufacturers are basically saying like, all right, we could probably sell more of these if we just mark them way down and like bundle them up with something. And that way, you know, we take a cut of whatever like Roku or uh, yeah. you know, Amazon sells. Like if we sell an Amazon TV where Amazon's paying us, right? Which I think is honestly pretty smart. It's insane though. Like, I don't remember how much my parents paid, but they have a 70 inch Samsung in the living room. And that was from 2018. And now it's out of date. It's a smart TV. I mean, they still have cable, but that's a story for a different day. But like the smart (laughs) TV only has Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon Prime TV. You can't get HBO Max. You can't get any of the new, you can't get Peacock. It doesn't allow it. That's nuts. Yeah, they're just forced you to buy a new TV. I mean, like- so I got them a fire stick as part of one of the gifts because it's like, then you could just add all of that instead of just buying a whole new TV. But yeah, yeah. he's in the return on investment too. Again, like you just said, a 70 inch TV for 300 bucks. They probably spent North of a thousand for that. Right. Yeah. That's a thing. It's like, that's, it's almost like, you know, Hey, what's cheaper? Is it something like with a TV bundled in with like a few months of this and that, and like, like you said, Peacock and a few other things or, is it literally just cheaper to run cable and like subscribe for the shit you want and just hook up your computer? It's like, I, I think it's going to get cheaper. Like I, I already think it is to like just buy a cheaper TV and just subscribe to the stuff you want to. Um, I don't know where it's TVs are weird. Like I bought mine when I moved uh, recently, a couple of months ago, I bought a TV for my living room and I bought a used TV for like 130 bucks. This thing works perfectly, but it was just open box. Yeah. Like what the hell? Everything's like so cheap now as far as TVs go. So maybe it's less people watching TV. I really don't even know. Like, are they just using their phones, tablets? Maybe that's for another day too. Yeah. I mean, like these, those prices aren't necessarily like going down. No, iPads are mad expensive. iPads. I mean, Dude, an Xbox and PlayStation won the limited supply, but then they're like going for six, seven, eight, nine hundred dollars. It's like no way in hell, no way in hell. It's like, you know, I have friends that like, you know, are active gamers and we have like testy on house enterprise now running like all that stuff. And like, they all have like the new and like the new stuff. It's like, I'm running an Xbox that I got from a black Friday deal, like six five six years ago for like 300 bucks and that was still like whoa 300 bucks it was usually 500 like i'm I'm kind of all set yeah aside from my tournament and mlb the show with james i have not touched my playstation since i moved here i use the xbox just to stream 
Yeah, that's all they are. Now that, um, you know, I have the, I have, again, one of those smart TVs, like I think it's an Android TV. You don't even I should, need it. I don't, right. I don't need the, I didn't need the PlayStation. I didn't need the Fire Stick. I have a Fire Stick in my, my bedroom, but it's like I'm, I'm running ESPN right now off, off the TV itself. Unbelievable. Like I, I'm never going to need any one of those gaming consoles again, unless it's like a game, right? Yeah. But everyone goes to PC now, which is a whole nother like, I, mean, I know most streamers are going PC only and you have nuts. to build it. And it's like, that's thousands of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Crazy stuff. But that's uh, that's like, we ended up talking about TVs. Pretty cool. I'll take it. It's a good business segment there. Um, let's go into our interview with Providence head coach, Ed Cooley. Great interview. Again, his humble beginnings in Providence. We talk about, um, you know, his, time as a teacher at Bridgewater Rainham uh, regional right down the road from here uh, Fairfield U and then finally the one of the well obviously the most recent stop here at Providence College right up the road uh, great interview with Ed Cooley so let's bring him on this is coach Ed Cooley from the Providence Friars all right everybody with this this week we have one of the head coaches of the hottest teams in the Big East the local legend, the Friar Faithful, head coach of the Providence Friars, Coach Ed Cooley, joins the podcast today. Uh, coach, first and foremost, thanks so much for coming on. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And how's everything with you? Thanks a lot for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, the holiday was great. Had an opportunity to spend it with my team and with my son and wife. Unfortunately, missed my daughter, who was, uh, you know, she's still down at school and spent some time down there. Uh, in the D.C. area, but um, overall, nothing to complain about. Excited to be on here with you guys today. No, we definitely appreciate it. And, uh, you know, as we were discussing before and our listeners know, you know, we are a Providence-based podcast and you are one of the, you know, on the Mount Rushmore of Providence faces. And uh, we really are, (laughs) we're really excited to have you on. So, you know, let's just talk about, you know, your upbringings in the city of Providence. You know, you had very humble beginnings not much at home, but what were some of the bright, bright spots of your childhood while in Providence? Well, a great bright spot is, you know, we had a big family and, you know, between my grandmother, my aunts and uncles, my brothers and sisters and all of our cousins, you know, we, you know, like a holiday like this, we would play football down at the park, whether it be on Buckland Street, whether it be over in Richmond Park, over on the Prairie Avenue side, you know, that was the great part about it. You know, th- there was some tough times, but, you know, we made the best of it, did the best we could. And, you know, you know, just try to get through every single day. And coach, you know, you were the, you were the Rhode Island basketball player of the year twice in high school. You know, uh, how much did that mean to you? You know, as you were coming up the, the ranks in the basketball scene here in Rhode Island and beyond, how much did that mean to you to see the fruits of your labor pay off like that early in your life? And how did that set the tone for the rest of your career? Well, I always use sports as an outlet. I mean, an outlet to be around a team, to, have energy and, and excitement. I think sport brings people together, you know, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of your means, sports is a, is an equalizer. And, you know, whether it was playing minor league uh, baseball to major league baseball to playing on a, you know, uh, wee football, right to high school, you know, I, I, I've tried to use sport as an opportunity to get away and an opportunity to get me an education, to give me an opportunity to be somewhat successful. Absolutely. And I mean, you had a great career post high school as well. You went to Stonehill, earned a degree in history, and then you taught a couple of years at Bridgewater Rainham High School in Massachusetts. What was that turning point when you knew that coaching was your calling? 
And I think that's a great question because I think so many people don't follow their love and we get afraid of the unknown. So when Coach Skinner was the head coach at URI and I was a high school teacher for two years at Bridgewater Random Regional, at that point in time, I was an assistant at the alma mater of Stonehill, but a restricted earnings position came up, meaning, you know, um, he was only allowed to make certain amount of money, which the court later overturned. Coach Skinner had that uh, spot available at the University of Rhode Island. And I always say I liked teaching, but I love coaching and I wanted to follow my love. And in doing so, you know, you had to take a step back financially. At that point in time, you know, um, my soon-to-be wife told me she was, uh, you know, pregnant and we were about to get married and we we're buying our first home. So that took a lot of courage on myself and Aretha's behalf because, you know, who knew where that was going to bring us? And, right. you know, that's where the journey really began. For that first part of your career, Coach, really the great Al Skinner was a mentor of yours. You know, what were... What were some of those key things that you learned from him early on in your career that you might still be applying now and that you really found helpful at that point? Ironically, Coach Skinner's been up here. He, I think he has seen us play three games, three of our seven games in person. And, you know, I would say seeing, seeing the bigger picture, having some patience with development, understanding the role of how important education is and making sure that's a daily part of, quote unquote, the practice plan, which, you know, as a teacher, we call a lesson plan. Don't ever let them forget why they're there. You know, we're trying to win games. We're trying to move forward. Yet education has to be uh, paramount when talking to the players. And when you, uh, you know, coach that turned into once your assistant coaching career kind of, you know, led the path, uh, you know, it, it paved the way for you to take that head coaching job at Fairfield back in 2006. And, and we're good friends with Jared Grosso, Brian, of course, a big thing that that he mentioned was, you know, I don't really, you know, I had a lot of lessons to learn when I was a head coach when he was at Fordham. His big takeaway was he wasn't ready to do that. So what were some of those moments that you had, you know, at Fairfield when you kind of uh, started out there? And was there anything that when you took over as a head coach, you knew that you needed to learn or you needed to fill in the gaps with? It's just like anything else. You don't know, you have no idea what you're going to do when you call your first time out. You don't know what you don't know as the head coach. When you're the assistant coach, you know, you have a lot of suggestions. As the head coach, you have to have some answers and some solutions. So, you know, the first thing you got to do is, you, hey, well, what kind of staff are you going to have? What, you know, you know, what kind of offense are you going to run? What are you going to do in the community? How are you giving back? What's your philosophy on education? What's your philosophy on defense? You know, how are you building a community? I mean, so many different things go through your head. And as a young coach, you just don't know. You don't know how you're going to react to a win. How you're going to react to a loss. How you're going to handle the press. How you're going to handle parents. How you're going to handle recruiting. There's so many different ways. You know, how are you going to handle fundraising? How are you going to handle player development? Uh, you know, player coach relationship uh, relationships on campus. Are you going to have a visibility on campus? Are you going to be involved with fundraising, administration? You know, admissions. I just given you probably 15 things that. I can probably rattle off more, but those are the things that as you get older in the job, you see that you can have such an impact on your school and in your community that you never thought you'd be, you know, you, you would even think about as an assistant coach. 
Was there a big game coach or maybe a, a big win or a big loss that stands out from that time at, at Fairfield uh, that, you know, you kind of had to force yourself to look in the mirror and think about one of those things in particular? Yes. I, another one. We just had lost a close game at Manhattan and it was my first year um, being a 30, I think that's 35 or 36. You know, I, I didn't feel my team connected. I felt our team was complaining and, you know, just, just not appreciating the opportunity. Number one, you know, on our worst day is people's dreams when you're in college basketball. You know what I mean? Our worst day is somebody's dream. So what I did was after the game, the players didn't know. I told them, Hey, get it, go get a toothbrush, grab a pillow. And everybody came and slept at my house. I said, we will not leave here until we know each other's full name. We will not leave here until we know parents, names, brothers, sisters, we're going to learn to appreciate one another for who we are. And I think that changed the whole trajectory of our stay at Fairfield. From there, I think we won eight games in a row. I think wow. We started three and 15, and I think we got to uh, 11 and 15, or it was something like that. It either was seven or eight in a row, but wow. it definitely was a turning point, I remember. That's awesome, Coach. And I mean, you mentioned a lot of things right there talking about like how you wanted to, you know, embody that meaning of being a coach and, you know, giving back to the players, to the community, you know, building a program. You know, you've done it your entire career and now, you know, you get the opportunity to do it in Providence and you've been here for a few years. But how does that feel for you to, you know, take all of those messages and things that you want to, you know, embody to become a great coach and bring that back to your hometown? Well, first and foremost, anytime you have a chance to come do it in a place where, number one, you love. Uh, I mean, I love the streets of Rhode Island, in particular the streets of Providence. You know, walking up and down those streets and having the memories and the dreams of what-if scenarios. So when given the chance to come back here, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm far from perfect. I made a million mistakes and continue to make them. Yet I look at this opportunity and say, if I can do it, there's many more people that can do it. A, we got to get lucky. We got to create some luck. We got to put ourselves in a situation where, you know, people will remember you because you do the right things. You give back, you say hello, you smile, you're engaged, and you make people feel wanted. You make people feel good about themselves when they leave. I think anytime as the head coach, you can make it about the players when you make it about the school and you make it about your supporters and fan base, I think you'll give them an insight to who you are, the person not the coach. And that's all I've ever wanted to do. I've dreamed of being a head basketball coach. I never dreamed. I've, I've, I've never dreamed of um, doing nothing else once I left teaching. I always wanted to be a coach. Coach, and now you've built, you know, uh, obviously it's a really great program that you're running at Providence now, but you just won your 200th game in Friartown too. You know, the only head coaches that have done that before you are, are the legendary Joe Mullaney and Mr. Gavitt, of course. So, you know, a brief comment on what that means to you, um, you know, especially to do that in Friartown, of course. Ooh, you know, it's touching. Um, like I said, even after the game, I wasn't aware of it. Um, you know, that's not something you think about, but I think that just shows you, I think it's more about your administration, the people that hired you. I think they have a lot to do with success and failures. I think administrations win games and win championships. And I've been blessed to have one of the best ADs in the country and, and Bob Driscoll and a, and a president and Ken Sicard. And prior to him was uh, 
Brian Shanley. You know, when you have a support staff like that and a board that's committed to excellence, committed to, you know, giving you every opportunity to be successful, that's where those wins come from. Then obviously recruiting the right student athletes. It says, hey, they give you some longevity. They're giving you an opportunity. Um, it's just something that comes with longevity. I'm, I'm fortunate. Um, I'm appreciative. And it's exciting. And, and I hope there's many more wins to come. That's obviously an excellent accolade for you. You know, it speaks about levels about, you know, how the program you're running and the, the programs of those that have come before you. So you just mentioned, you know, the recruiting as well. You've got your pitch, I'm sure, to, you know, those recruits that you're out on the road with. You know, you just loaded up on a, an excellent recruiting class for next year as well. But what are some of those discussions that you have with a, a player who wants to, to play basketball at Providence? And, you know, what are the things that you relay to them before they make that decision on the, the community and the type of team that they'll be joining? Right. Well, the first thing we try to sell is, you know, we sell our, our academics. We sell our community. You know, we sell the Big East. You know, we sell our style of play. We sell the Dunkin' Donuts Center. But, you know, the right student athlete got to want to come to Providence based on it's not the biggest school. You know, we're a small population of 4,200 students, you know, and they got to want that. You know, we, we, we sell we don't have football. Even though football is great to go to the game, you know, there's a lot of things that go into football that can be taken away from other sports. So, you know, we try to sell our family atmosphere. We sell our staff. I think our staff is vastly underrated nationally. Jeff Battle, Ivan Thomas, Brian Blaney do the bulk of the recruiting with myself. And then our administrative leaders of, you know, Kevin Kerbeck uh, and Bobby Walsh. And then our personal assistant is LaDante Hinton. A good group of men that afforded us an opportunity to grow and grow at a great, great rate. We've had, you know, of amazing players leave the Friars and go on to have careers in the NBA and overseas as well. I mean, you know, we're, we're all young bucks. You remember the name of Chris Dunn and Bryce Cotton and, of course, David Dukes uh, now on the, uh, the Nets. But how special is that to you as a head coach, uh, not only as, you know, your pitch for recruits, but also um, just to show how much you've taught them and, and allowed them to grow for uh, future careers? It's been awesome to see these young men grow up. You know, you, they go from adolescence to men where they're getting married, having children, playing professionally. Coming back to, you know, coming back to the games, coming through the summer, coming and working out at the development center. You, you, you feel like a proud parent. You feel like a, you know, you feel like a big brother. You feel like, you know, you, you go from coach to friend really fast. You go from coach to mentor. You know what I mean? What an, uh, what, what, what an opportunity to see these kids really grow and prosper. And I can't tell you how blessed I am to be part of their life. And LaDante Henton, coach, that's a new addition to your staff as well. I think it was universally really praised. Uh, you bring in buckets, as they call them, back to the staff. But how much has he impacted your team already? And what does that say to have a former player there rooting for them and coaching them on the sideline? Well, I, I, think, it sets, I think it sets the tone, and I think it gives people perspective. You know, LaDante was a first-team All-Big East player. He's a 2,000-point, 1,000-rebound player there. He's a Big East champion. He's a graduate. I mean, he lived the dream of the student athlete to go on and play professionally, you know, to go on and have some success overseas. He has a degree and he came back to give uh, his school his talents with respect to his knowledge and give back to our student athletes. You know, he can connect with our student athletes and let them know, you know, the highs and lows of college. 
highs and lows of life after college, the challenges, you know, in college, I mean, our, our players, you know, student athletes around the country live the life of luxury because there's not so much accountability on, you know, once they get out of school, the light bill, a pair of socks, a car bill, paying for some tires, some gas, some heat, you know, I mean, you, you go through it. insurance. Those are things they don't think about right now and they shouldn't yet. It's on the horizon and, you know, trying to prepare them for that is something that LaDante can share with them. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, you hit it right on the, uh, the head right there. It's like something you're not thinking about when you're playing, but it's nice that you have the staff and yourself to uh, build that bridge to make sure, you know, they're in, they're ready for what's in store in the future. Um, present day, 2021, you know, after a year of COVID where fans couldn't be at the dunk and couldn't be on campus, you now are off to a six to one start. What's been the keys to success for this team? Obviously, Nate Watson has been doing um, a really great job thus far. But, you know, from your perspective, what's been the uh, secret sauce for the uh, winning winning thus far? Well, you know, I mean, we, we do have an older group. You know, it's the oldest group we've coached. You know, um, I think our chemistry has been built over the summer where the NCAA has allowed us to have more time with our players. So we're able to create some chemistry and continuity earlier than most. Um, and obviously coming off the COVID year, Given the extra year of eligibility, all these teams are really, a lot of these college teams are old. And I think our chemistry has come together much sooner than in the past just because of the time we had to uh, work with them. So that's, that's definitely been a bonus and a plus. Thanks so much for coming on for us. We can't let you go, of course, without uh, getting your Rhode Island food recommendations. So I'd imagine Federal Hill is a good spot. You know, what, what other places, maybe a, a local business or two, do you want to give a shout out to uh, as far as food and and uh, Rhode Island eats goes? Well, you know, I mean, we do, we, we, you know, we have a lot of recruiting meals around the city, whether it be the Capitol Grill, Hemingway's, you know, we've eaten at Picaro's. I mean, we've eaten at a lot of places. It's the, the Dunes Brothers, that little, you know, the little red red truck house that was there. We eat there in the summertime. Downtown, we go to Nico Bella's. I mean, you know, we're all around, you know, all the Dunkin' Donuts establishments. We try to spread ourselves around. Obviously, we love the food on Federal Hill with all the great restaurants there. That's what we also sell in our recruiting. I don't know if you can find too many bad meals in our city. You know, so, you know, we try to support as many of them as we can. And we have a good food choice. So, you know, Milanzi is another place that we use a lot. Uh, Milanzi is a, is a great catering and, and restaurant. So shout out to them and very grateful for all the restaurants that support what we're trying to do. And then coach as well, you know, a big thing that or a big activity that you've partaken in around Rhode Island specifically, you know, Brendan McGare wrote a nice feature on it a while ago, but uh, the running for you has really been something that you've used to, to keep healthy, to, to shed the pounds off, you know, um, how much has that transformed your life? You know, how much has that grown into be part of your routine? You know, the, the physical, um, you know, just keeping care of your body and uh, finding the places to run around Providence. Well, number one, you know, you know, wellness is, is become a big part of my life and, you know, it gives me a mental break from everything. Uh, you know, for all of us that have struggled with weight in our life, you know, so many times you look down upon if people view you as quote unquote overweight you know there could be some you know medical situations where weight stays on us it could be you know we just need the motivation to get out there so every single day try to move my body try to get my thought process try to get somewhat of a sweat and it's been healthy it's been good 
And as I've gotten older, I've really appreciated just the time alone. Sometimes being alone is much greater than everybody else in your ear where you can get the space to think alone. So I'd highly recommend a walk, a workout to everybody, regardless of age. Um, just try to move your body the best that you can to give yourself your own mental health and your own mental wellness. Um, it does wonders for me, and I'll continue to do it. Of course. And I mean, Coach, we've seen you running up the streets a few times. We've been headed back to the apartment. We're like, damn, you know, I think we got to go for a run. And then we look at ourselves and I think a brisk walk's fine. So thank you for uh, continuing to inspire us and uh, for you for running, you know, all times of the year, whether it's hot or cold. Absolutely. It's good. And I, and I think anytime we as, you know, Friars and, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a big basketball fan. I'm a big fan of every sport in Rhode Island with respect to basketball. I want all of our teams to do well. And, you know, uh, hopefully every team goes on to have success. So good luck to everyone out there. Continue to compete. Happy holidays to everyone. And, and thanks a lot for having me on. Coach. And that was just Friars head coach, Ed Cooley, legend of Providence. Great guy overall. We appreciate him coming on the show, spending a time on a Sunday to record. Um, and we're excited to uh, watch the Friars and the dunk and hopefully they, uh, make the tournament this year, but they've been playing well. So we're really excited to get him on the show and hopefully back again soon. Yeah. Big time um, start to the year and a big time game against Texas tech on Wednesday too. Texas tech is the number one offensive rebounding team in the nation right now. Just was talking to the guys from Providence crier, follow them on Twitter, but we were talking through that game. And I'm like, holy shit, this team can rebound. You remember Kevin O'Banner from Oral Roberts? Hmm. He's on that team? Yeah, he transferred in there. Huh. And he's shooting 43% from three. Six eight guy. Damn. So that's nuts. Um, I'm, you know, I'm very excited to, to watch that game, hopefully in person. Um, but if not, you know, catch it on FS1. I don't think Fanta's on the call for that, sadly, but he will be there. So hopefully we can uh, take him out for a couple beers in Providence after. Uh, our ball segment, as always, is presented by Manscaped. Manscaped.com slash house. Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals. You actually get the bump up. It's 25%. I think it ends today or ends this week. Um, but like we've said it before, and we'll continue to say it again, big fans of the products. Um, you know, they are for men and women. You know, you can use it. You know, it does not nick your skin. You can use it for all sorts of, you know, grooming on your hair, all over your body. Um, they have an incredible lineup of products from lotions and conditioners to soaps and deodorants. And of course, their lawnmower 4.0. Um, but if you head over to manscaped.com, it's the perfect gift for your loved ones. Use the code house, usually 20% this week, 25%. Um, and like we said, your balls will thank you later. And we love it. So you should love it too. Man, woman, and child, as you said yesterday, or uh, man, last woman week. And child. Man, woman, and child. I, this probably works on a baby's head. I would say. Yeah. Very safe, actually. Very safe. Very, very child's head. Yes. Love it. Uh, I am probably going to pull trigger on the lawnmower 4.0. Um, I love my previous lawnmower, but I think it's time to upgrade. Um, manscaped.com slash house is where I will be doing that. Okay. Rapid fire balls. Uh, let's get this conversation over with. 
The Texas Rangers, they just spent a half a billion dollars <laughs> on middle infielders. Great. Lovely. $560 million to sign the two best infielders on the market, I believe, uh, in Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. And this sucks. It sucks to see a team that was almost dead last in the MLB last year spend all this money. They're going for it. And they spent literally $600 million on guys that the Yankees should have been calling. That sucks. And they're not done yet. And they are. I don't think so. I think they're going to go for pitching. I mean, they have to. to If they want to be competitive, they're going to have to. They have to. It's like, if you're going to spend that much money, you got to like lock up your bullpen and your rotation. It's just wild that a team that a year ago, like, you know, you're trading a guy that's going to hit 40 home runs a year for you. Uh, gold glove defender, all-star, all this stuff. You trade him for a slew of prospects. It's going to bite the Yankees in, in the ass. I'm not mad about that we got Joey Gallo, but it's like, damn, they're bolstering up their infields. They're going to be a, they're going to be a team to watch. I mean, who is in the AL West? So you got the Astros. Angels. The, the Angels, who are starting to spend some money a little bit as well. The Mariners are making some quiet moves, and they've been – you know, very open or like at least, you know, having conversations with people. So it's a tough division, but I mean, good for them. It's crazy that they had this kind of money. Um, Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? I didn't. (laughs) No. That's fucked up, man. Yeah, I don't I mean, know. Like, like, I just don't understand why they think they're going to be good. I'm, I'm just going to say it. it yeah. And that makes them so much better. It does puts them in a contention. But like their pitching is hot trash. What still. I don't what I don't love about the Rangers moves is it's setting the market now. I mean, Marcus Simeon, seven, seven years, I think it was like 150. I'm not sure I what I'm saying. 135. 130, right? Which is like, okay, you know what? Marcus Simeon, he's versatile. He's an all-star, gold glover. He has some nice power, had a great year with Tampa Bay. Okay, fine. He deserved his payday. I'm happy. I I personally wanted him because of that versatility. You know, it's yeah. like I was the guys that I wanted were Marcus Simeon and Chris Taylor because they and Chris Bryan as well because they offer versatility in different places that the, the Yankees need help. But when they said seven years, I'm like, you know what? We're already tied in with Stanton and DJ, and we got to give uh, um, we got to give Judge a big contract. You know what? If you're going to give the major years, it's got to be either for Correa or Seager. Yep. Then Seager gets an eight-year, eight-year 385. That right there means that Carlos Correa is going to get eight years 400. I... And to be honest, to be completely honest, I don't want that. I don't want it. I would take right now and put me on the record – I'll take Trevor Story five years, 125, and call it a day. I would, I'd rather have that. I agree. Because we already but lost that on the lefty back. They're like the same player. I hate. They are. Fuck. Just one's a lefty, I, one's a righty. I know. No, they're both righties. Story and Correa? Oh, I thought you were talking about Seager. No. no oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. off the table. No. Yeah, so, Corey I mean, they, they're, they're the same player. About. They're the same player. 
I think Correa is a bit more of a power hitter, but I mean, that doesn't mean like story gets on base a lot. And he also on base, the Yankees need the on base. So I'd rather have story. And then again, if you're going for lefty bat, might as well re-sign Anthony Rizzo and not talk about Matt Olson. I know. Yeah. Fuck. I'm sick and tired of the Matt Olson narrative. Listen, Anthony Rizzo came in, he struggled a little bit, but he was a very good player for the 40 games that the Yankees had him. The Yankees yep. traded how many prospects between him and Gallo? You know, I think it was six prospects for Gallo, four for Rizzo. Yes, it was a rental. They came up short. You re-signed him to the money because why are you going to trade another five to six prospects and players for Matt Olson when realistically they're the same player too? I know. Everyone's like, oh, well, Matt Olson's better on defense. Anthony Rizzo has a platinum glove. He mm-hmm. has a platinum glove. What are you talking about? Every Cubs fan would take Anthony Rizzo over Matt Olson. So it's like, what are we talking about? The A's haven't done jack shit. They haven't won anything with the amount of loaded talent that they've had. Like, come on. Why are we going? Like, I hate Yankees Twitter so much. It's, it's like exhausting. There's no credible sources besides John Boy Media, Jack Curry, and, you know, Ruko and those guys. Other than that, everyone's like, Hoodie Frazier, Hoodie Boone, Hoodie, hoodie this. They don't hoodie, know. Hoodie Maven, that piece hoodie. of shit. I and hate it. And they all think they're like, listen, I'm all about, because we have, you know, people on our site that write about stuff and it's all opinion. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's all opinion based. It's like, this is what I think they should do. This is who I like. It's not anyone actively saying per sources, you know, they're going to do this and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, blah, we're blah. not disguising ourselves as like, you know, it is like, literally for the fans. It is for the fans saying, you know, this is my opinion, okay? Which I'm all about for people's opinions. I'm tired of all these people crying and stuff, and like not for nothing. Like Tommy smokes and hubs are the worst too. Yeah, well, you know, there's there's only one that takes the crown for the worst, and that is Scoops RBW. Yeah, formerly known as Gary Sanchez Resurgence Bandwagon. He's back, mind you. Did Which you see he's back on Twitter? I saw, which he should be banned for life. That should be the new CEO's first mission is to ban him. <laughs> ban scoops for life. I love it. Yeah, that guy's an asshole. Um, you know, he sold his Patreon subscriptions for uh, to claim he has sources. I mean, he is just insufferable, and I yeah. hope he rots. I really do. I hope he rots in Twitter prison. So, I mean, if anything, I don't know what the Yankees going to do. I mean, they need a shortstop. I'm hoping it's Trevor Story for the money aspect just because they have – Anthony Volpe and the um, Oswald Perez or Peraza, you know, Robbie. if those guys are supposed to be ready in next year, or the year after, then you can always shift story to, you know, third or, you know, work on the next year. I would actually be fine if they grabbed like all um, Simmons or Freddie Galvis as a backup piece as well. Um, but they need to do something. They need to do something because it's getting a little scary now. Um, we don't even have a number two pitcher. We don't even have a number two pitcher. Yeah. They're, What's going to happen is Cashman's going to say, well, we have Severino back. Well, you lose Kluber. So who's your three? You know, I think they should bring back Tanaka, but that ship seems to be sailed. I would have liked Robbie Ray. And I thought him and the deal Kevin Gaussman got were both fair. Five years. There's no reason why they couldn't have offered that. And maybe they did. Yeah. So I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. It's infuriating, infuriating, but I think the most frustrating piece of it's all, and we talked about it in the beginning of the show, Max Scherzer, I mean, monster yeah. deal, monster deal, 43 AAV a year. To um, the New York effing Mets. Yeah, I think the only thing that pisses me off most about that is 
the Yankees literally listened to the bluff and said, oh, he's not coming to the East Coast. I know. Which is stupid because he spent how many years on the Nationals and won a ring, and then he was also in Detroit for so many part of his career? Like, come on. Come on. I know. I know. It's so frustrating. And to be clear, I'm not frustrated that the Mets got him, right? You know, I, I all these Mets fans were so quick to be like, oh, you know, he's the best pitcher in New York now. It's like, just hold your fucking horses for a sec. He's 37. Well, yeah. No, so I, I don't doubt that, right? I'm not necessarily saying like he, that he sucks. But what I'm saying is like, all these Mets fans were so quick to be like, oh, fuck you, Yankees. But I'm like, I'm actually happy for the Mets that they did this. No, I'm you know, it must be nice. Too. And, I'm and happy too. finally, the Mets are like, you know, they're like, well, huh, Yankees must be like having an owner that like isn't cheap. Like, must be nice. We knew that life for a few years uh, while we were able to comprehend it. And yeah, so we didn't. Like, and I think that like the frustrating part too, it's like, yeah, the Yankees aren't spending, but like they are tied up financially. Like you have DJ LeMahieu on six years and 120 million. You have Stanton on that monster contract. Garrett Cole's 10 years, 300. So like, it's not to say we aren't spending. It's just, it's like you came out and said, this is going to be a busy off season. And now you're asleep at the wheel. And with the lockout, you know, it's going to happen. December 2nd, it's going to happen. Yeah. Guaranteed lockout um, by Thursday. It's like, they got to get moving. They got to sign some, they got to, put some pen on paper here is wilson Contreras a free agent on i don't think so i think he's staying with the cubs for a while well actually that's a good question because i'm all i'm remembering is he said if they want to build around me then great you know i i would like to stay here so that makes me think he actually might be let's see 6.6 million last year uh, he's arbitration eligible. They'll just settle in court, and that's it. And then next year, he'll be the, like the year after, he'll be a free agent. That would be fun. I would take him. I'd pay him twenty million bucks a year for sure. Yeah. So, <sighs> who knows? I mean, there's a lot to there's a lot to keep your eyes out, especially with the CBA. I think you know by the time this episode airs, there's going to be some names off the board, and hopefully, the Yankees you know take on one. We actually also did not take into account Javier Baez. Yeah, I don't know where the fuck he's gonna end up. I don't. I sure shit don't think it's the Yankees. He ends up back on the Mets, man. The Mets have said they they're interested. Like they want to bring him back. The Mets have a good team. They have a good team. They they had a good team last year too. They just got plagued by injury. I did like a tweet that said, "Wow, what an opportunity Edwin Diaz has now to blow saves for the best pitchers in the MLB." I mean, looking at the rotation, if they bring back Stroman. You have DeGrom, Scherzer, Stroman, Carlos uh, Carrasco, Cookie, and Taiwan Walker. Taiwan Walker is your five. Taiwan Walker led the league in ERA for like half the year last year. (laughs) Disgusting, man. Um, Yeah, it's nuts. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I'm going to get pissed. Um, Football news will call attention to the head coaching changes. Lincoln Riley goes to USC and Brian Kelly to goes to LSU. LSU man. I, I, I had now I, I'm the first person to tell you, I have not watched a lick of college football this year besides Bryant, but I know Brian Kelly and I know 
Notre Dame football. What the fuck was that hire? Like, that's fine. I, I have no doubt he'll do well, but like, why Brian Kelly? Why would he leave that job? I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, I think it all came down because Lincoln Riley was going to be their guy. I really I do. So. I, I really do. And I mean, Lincoln Riley, we'll start with that topic too. Um, you know, Oklahoma is joining the SEC, I believe, next year. Did he dodge it? I think he did. I think he draft dodged the SEC. Um, I mean, again, it's a great hire for USC. It's just surprising that, you know, he's leaving. Um, it's, he's leaving Oklahoma because he doesn't want to be in the SEC again. All speculation. But, yeah, Brian Kelly to LSU, uh, very, very head-turning. I mean, Notre Dame has been a very competitive team. Uh, they made it to the college football playoffs last year, did they not? Uh, Notre Dame, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah, so it's like, hey, you know, that's a, definitely an interesting hire. I'm curious to see where Ed Ogeron goes. Um, be sad to I not. I feel like he's done. Guys. Yeah, he probably is. I mean, Florida has that opening as well. Yeah. So he can head back to Florida. I mean, you think he does? I, I just think there's nothing left for him to prove. It's like he's had a good career. Like, fuck it, right? Yeah. Damn. I don't know. I'm poor Coach O. Did he leave on his own terms or was it like, hey, you wasn't he caught up with some girl? That and I think, I mean, they pretty much said this will be your last year. Yeah. Yeah. Duh. Um 2020, Notre Dame was did they finish five? Oh, I'm trying to look. 2020 college football playoff. I feel like they were in the playoff though. I don't know. They weren't. They finished five. LSU, Oklahoma, and then Ohio State, Clemson, and Clemson beat them. I think it was 2019. Wait, no. That's dumb. That was 20. Okay. That was 2020 into. That was 2019 into 2020. What happened last year? You were right. Alabama beat Notre Dame. Clemson beat Ohio State. Yeah, you're right. So I got the wrong thing. So, Pam. It's a good team. Good team. Um, but, I mean, we had some crazy stuff happen this weekend. Uh, Michigan beat Ohio State. Yeah. Um, they're going to play, I believe, probably Georgia. And then Alabama had a close one, you know, triple over, double or triple overtime against Auburn. Um, so, they'll probably stay in. But Cincinnati, I mean, they remain undefeated. So, they'll deserve that, deserve that spot in the, um, in the final four. Yeah, it looks like um, – yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I bet you they end up playing – right now, if it ended right now, it would be Georgia versus Alabama, Michigan versus Cincinnati. Yeah. That's a wild slate. Wild. Man. Michigan looks good, though, right now. They do, but go with Cincinnati. Fuck yeah, big fuck. Go Cincinnati. But I'm all about the I, dogs because Georgia, Georgia makes good football players. Yes, they do. Georgia does. Um, yeah, I'm pretty pumped to see what they can do. Uh, and then finally, NFL game of the week this week, just so we don't recap everything. Bucks-Colts was a shootout. You, you mm-hmm. got to love that kind of football. 38-31, Tom Brady beats the Colts. I'm, I'm loving that. I'm loving a 38-31 win. I don't know if they covered. They probably did. Um, the Colts. 
can't decide if they're good. They just beat the shit out of the Bills. They hung with the Bucks. I think they're good. I'm going to say it. The Colts are good. Yeah, I mean, shout out to Rhode Island native Quiddy Pie. Um, yes. We might have to put him. Well, no, he wasn't born in Rhode Island, in Providence, but uh, he sacked Tom Brady. Saw that photo. That was pretty cool. He actually looked at our story, um, the one that we posted. <laughs> so get Quiddy Pie on the uh, Quiddy Pay on the uh, podcast, but. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots just beat the Titans, so, you know, they're neck and neck with the uh, the Colts in that division. So, I mean, the Bucks they're getting into that, mid, that mid-season form again, and they're going to, you know, turn the brakes, especially with the Rams now on a three-game uh, three skid. Aaron Rodgers hurt his toe, and he was showing everybody that was kind of weird, but the Packers yeah. are still obviously good. The Cardinals, I mean, if everyone gets healthy, they're the team to beat. I was actually looking at the odds right now. I bet you the Patriots are pretty high on that list now, too. Yeah, they're not. I think they're top five. That's wild. Where? They have like an 85% chance to make the playoffs. Well, I just had it. What the fudge? Um, well, it was, I saw that if you bet – on the a hundred bucks on the Lions, you win a million bucks if they if they uh win the Super Bowl. <laughs> so because they're not officially out yet. Wait, who are we talking about? The Lions. So well, the odd- handing Vegas your money. So Tampa Bay is at plus 525, Kansas City 700, Green Bay 750, Bills are 800, Arizona's 900. Pats are 1,100, Rams are 1,200, Ravens are 1,200, Cowboys are 1,300, and then it just starts going. Titans, 2,500, Bengals, 3,000, Chargers, 3,500, and then on and on and on. After the Cowboys beat the Pats, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I think I'm on the record on the podcast. I put probably 50 bucks for the Cowboys to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, but they're kind of like, they're hurting right now. Yeah, right now, I think they're good. I think they're, I think they have potential to go far. But now, you know what? It's the Rams. It's the Rams are going to win. That's all I'm going to say. I'm still on record. Rams are going to win the Super Bowl. My money says Dallas, but I'm going Rams. Um, The Pats, man, that was their last loss. That was October 17th. They're on a six game winning streak right now. And that's it. Pats are looking good. Big test against Buffalo, though. Something's broken with Buffalo. I guess we'll find out what it is on Monday. And I don't know. Um, I, don't know. I think that might be the game of the week next week. Probably. I mean, they play them twice in three weeks, so. Yeah. Well, that it's is, technically it's twice in four. So it's twice in three games, but they have a much-needed bye week, and I think that's going to help a lot. Okay. So I'm optimistic. I think they can pull it out. But the, a, a lot of shit needs to go right. And Mac Jones needs to play well. Yeah, I mean, everyone's very much hype on Mac Jones where it's been your running game and defense. Yes. So yes. don't get it twisted. For sure. Um, I think it's there's something to be said about the flexibility too. It's like, you know, when the run game goes down, like, you know, what the, look what they did against the Titans. Like they rushed for like less than 100 yards. They asked for big stuff for Mac Jones, and he delivered. He had a he had his best game this year, I think, three hundred and ten yeah. yards, um, through a couple of touchdowns too. I think like you know last week was refreshing, so um, pretty pumped with Mac. Um, it's certainly been the 
the defense, the run game, but you know, it's, it's all good stuff from him. Um, pretty pumped with his performance so far. Mm-hmm. That's all for us. Thank you very much for bearing with us. This is a longer episode for sure. Um, is our squad locker sale over? I think it is. I believe it is. They might, I mean, they'll probably be throwing stuff. Um, but if you do order by this week, either way, you should get it for Christmas. So we got a lot of good stuff. Uh, we're going to be adding some more stuff in the coming days and weeks. Some of our other brands are going to be hopping into the merch, but um, we've been happy. We added some vests, some windbreakers, some new polos around. So, uh, you know, keep in store. And we're going to, you know, once we get our new stuff, we're going to be posting a ton of pictures as well. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at squad locker and you can still save 20% off a joyful 20. It says express order cutoff is today. And I'm sure today means yesterday for those of you listening to the pod right now. So sorry about that. No, it was all over the Instagram. So if you got it, great. If not, you'll get it for the new year. Yeah, no, no express order for you if you haven't ordered yet, but still go. Um, you it, That just means it's not guaranteed before Christmas. So if you can wait, now's the time to get merch. Joyful20 is your code on Squad Locker. That'll do it from us. That's episode 70. That's Will and I'm Jake. So long, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you.